So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, a couple announcements real quick before we jump in. Um, there's, as you smelt on the way in, there's a barbecue going on to help raise funds for youth going to camps and different things. Um, and uh, man, they smelt good, yeah? They smell good. I like hamburgers, yeah. Um, and then also we have these bags on your way out. You can grab a bag and it's a little bit of a food drive we do around Thanksgiving every year. Um, and what it does is if you take the bag um, and then bring it back full over the next few Sundays. It, it restocks all our shelves for the food pantry, and there's always a big push this time of year for, for families that need food. So we'd love your help with that, if possible. And uh, congregational meeting next Sunday, which um, just if you, if you can really make plans to be here next Sunday, we're gonna have sort of a state of the church address <laughs> um, as a part of our service. So you don't wanna miss that. It's gonna be great. I'm really excited about it. But um, with that being said, we're in our Life Together series. Um, we, we've done messages about bearing one, each other, one another's burdens because ultimately when we're in life together, that's what it means to be in community is not what people can do for you, but how you can get your shoulder under the burden of someone else. Um, that's an important part of Christian community. Uh, conflating intimacies was this really great message. Alec really skillfully helped us kind of weave romance, sex, some of these types of aspects of our relationship together in a really, really wonderful way. Um, we also talked about relationship status in God's family. Um, we talked about pre-marriage and even post-marriage. And a big part of it was talking about singleness in the family of God. And a lot of people said that message was very, very helpful for them. And so if you haven't heard that and you'd like to, you can always get that on the website. Uh, Mario Benavides from Living Streams Espanol, he came this side and he talked to us how important it is to fight for our family, to fight for your church family, that it's, it's, it's not something you should be passive about, something that you should really be intentional about. Um, we talked about honoring everyone. Anybody remember that message? I didn't know if anybody would come back after that one. Um, yeah, that was a doozy. And uh, from, um, from First Peter, we talked about um, how the Lord wants us to honor everyone, including the ones that are hard to honor. Um, diversity of spiritual gifts and then exquisite mutuality was last week. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to kind of go through um, helping us understand what life together in a New Testament context is, is supposed to be like. And today we're talking about finances in the family of God. We didn't tell anybody ahead of time because we, were, we didn't want anybody to miss church for some weird reason. Um, but yeah, finances in the, in, the, in the family of God, and it's a very important thing. Um, it's all over the, the whole Bible, as we'll see, but uh, we're going to jump into that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 15, Paul, who calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles primarily, he's the one that God ordained to basically be the architect for Christian community. He's the one that was spreading the gospel and forming communities um, out of, outside of Jerusalem and helping them navigate all of the challenges and all of the wrestling that the gospel was going to bring to their cultures, to their families, to all their dynamics. Um, so he's a real important person to listen to. And, and he's writing to a church in Corinth about some of the questions they had in regards to finances. Verse 1. Now it is superfluous or unnecessary for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. Now that phrase, as you'll see as we continue down this thing, um, like any good pastor or preacher, he's, he's kind of nervous to say 
finances. He's nervous to talk about giving money and all these things. So he calls it the ministry of the saints. And as you keep reading, he'll, he'll call it different things. He'll call it a service. He'll call it a contribution. He'll call it a gift. He'll call it a promise. It's very interesting. Um, but I feel him there. I feel him. Um, for I know your readiness of which I boast about to you. Um, I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia, which is Corinth, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers uh, so that our boasting about you may not prove to be empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready to give this gift, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for uh, being so confident in you. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to, uh, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. So here he's talking about, I was so encouraged when I came to you in Acacia, you Corinthians, because when I mentioned to you that I, I would love to have you send a gift, a financial gift, with me back to the people in Jerusalem who are going through famine, going through a tough time, you guys were excited about it. You, were, you, were, you jumped at the opportunity. You said, we would love to do that. And yeah, and we want to we just talk to everybody. And they were very excited about the idea of giving financially. And he said that I was so pumped up that when I went up to Macedonia right after you guys, I told them how excited you were and they started to get excited about giving financially. And Paul, I mean, he was probably saying, I was a little nervous, didn't quite know how to go about this, but felt like it was something God was wanting me to do. But your joy, your zeal in this matter was so effective on me and so effective on the other people that I've told about it. And he's saying, and now I'm coming back through Corinth on my way back to Jerusalem to collect the gift. And, and I wanted to send the brothers ahead just to make sure that your preparations were going well and maybe you still had the zeal to give the gift because we've talked so big about how impressive you were that if we go and we show up and people find out that maybe it was all talk, it's gonna be a real disappointment. So that's, what, that's how this starts out. Um, and then he goes on. Actually, no, sorry, before we go on, I, I was so compelled by the Lord this morning during worship um, as I was just kind of saying, okay, Lord, I've done all this work. I have all these things to say, but ultimately I want what you want to say this morning. And so I was just kind of pausing that time and I felt like the Lord put on my heart to tell Living Streams Church that you guys are acacia. You guys have done so well when it comes to generosity. And it was cool, first service, because Mark Buckley, who was the founding pastor of this church 39 years ago, he was sitting there. And I just got to, you know, kind of look at him and just say, Mark, thank you for telling me all the stories over all the years of what the Lord has done through the people at Living Streams. As a young man growing up, I just got to hear story after story, radical story after story of what the Lord has done. And even looking around here, I, as I see faces in all these three services today, I'm just like, I know what you did. I know what you did. I know what you did. Nobody else knows what you did, but I know what you did because the position I'm in is interesting. I, I'm, like, I'm like in between. So even I told you I went to Belize. Someone came to me right before I went to Belize and gave me $500 and said, God told someone to give me this $500 to you going down to Belize because he felt like there was someone down there that really needed it. 
And immediately when they said that, I already knew who I was supposed to give to because I was talking to somebody in Belize. And they were telling me, this is a very, very faithful person, but he'd lost his job. He had a wife and he's got young kids. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And I just said, I didn't know what to do. I had nothing to offer. And so right before I'm going down to Belize, someone gives me $500. So here I am, like I'm doing something good for somebody. I'm just literally going, okay, okay, you know. But I give the $500 to this guy and these two people don't even, they don't know any of the situation. They just felt compelled to give. So it goes through them, boom, I give it to him and I'm standing in front of this guy and his wife and his kids as if I give him this gift. And the tears coming out of his eyes and he's thanking me profusely <laughs> like I had something to do with it. And ultimately what it was was he was just so moved that God would hear his prayers and, and speak to someone else who was praying. And he got to be a part of this process of God just saying, hey, let's do this thing. The ministry of the saints. This beautiful, beautiful thing. And so anyways, living streams, you're so good. But then I felt like the Lord told me right after that to really um, thank those who are over 50 at living streams because of all of your generosity that you guys have chosen to not sow sparingly, but to sow generously in living streams and specifically and beyond. And not to say that, that, that I'm not talking about from you know, our financial reality. I'm just saying that, that that generation, you guys have been generous. And now to appeal to this younger generation that it is our turn to decide, are we gonna trust the Lord with our finances or are we not? Are we going to believe that the tithe is something valuable or are we not? Are we going to sow generously or are we going to sow sparingly? And to really charge and say, hey, it is our time right now to make sure that the people who take over from us have full vats and full barns when they set, set their sights on serving the Lord. Mark Buckley and his family, they worked really hard. And I mean, I watched them be in a living room and kind of move from place to place to place to this place. And so we now have inherited this amazing campus in the middle of this city, this amazing family, these amazing resources that would go because someone was willing to lay down their life. And it's our turn to not just squander and use and, and, and consume these resources, but it's now our turn to lay down our lives in faith and trust in the Lord. And to give so generously that the people after us have a lot more to, to work with than we did. It's true in our nation, on the political scene. It's true in that regard, but I'm talking here about the church this morning. So anyways, that was a little bit extra there. No, no charge for that right there. Um, so verse 6, the point is this, Paul is saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, um, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to him so that all sufficiency in all things and at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Let that be said about us. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, 
It's another fancy way of saying it. Is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and so we're going to unpack this now um, in, in just a moment. I want to make sure you understand that this is not some obscure passage in the Bible that we're, that we're pulling out and making this huge um, argument about. Um, in fact, the Bible is very clear about our finances from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, um, First Testament, uh, the original testament that, that God brought to the people that we have recorded um, in our Bible, you have verses like this, Deuteronomy 16. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Proverbs 3, the wisdom literature says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, first service and second service, I got a running total of how many people have barns. First service, there was one barn. Second service, there were three barns. How many barns are represented here? Who's got a barn? Anybody got a barn? There's a barn. There's a barn. Two? Two barns? Barns and Noble. <laughs> yeah, if you own that, maybe, but no. Um, okay, how many vats we got here? Just kidding. Nobody's got a vat. Nobody even knows what that is. Um, but he's just basically saying he's going to supply every one of your needs. First Chronicles 29, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everyone comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hands. Beautiful perspective. In Genesis 14, this is an important passage. And praise be to the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram, later called Abraham, gave him a tenth of everything. So when we talk about the tithe, where we give 10% to the Lord. A lot of people think that's tied in with the law that came with Moses and we're no longer under the law. Totally understand that. And the New Testament doesn't talk a lot about specifically the tithe. However, the tithe is something that was before the law came with Abraham. It was, it was a response between God and a grateful person that he gave him a tenth. So that's why this is such a, a common thing throughout scriptures, the whole idea of a tenth. In Jesus's life, not just the Old Testament, but in Jesus' life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, So when you give to the needy, not if, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Mark 12, Jesus um, is teaching his disciples about giving, and he says, He sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Just an interesting thing to keep in mind as we come to the Lord's house or as we um, give generously, that the Lord is watching. And he's not watching as this you know, great big killjoy who's just wanting to bust you. He's, wanting, he's watching because he wants to see what's in your heart. And what he sees on this day is not something that, that he's bummed about. It's something that he's so thrilled about. Um, and what he says is this. Many rich, oh, sorry, it says, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you that this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. 
They gave what was safe for them. They gave what didn't require faith. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Luke 16, Jesus says, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And the connotation is God is pouring out his blessing into your life. And if the blessing stops with you, at some point God will stop pouring out the blessing into your life because we're to be conduits. What God has poured into us should freely flow out of us. Freely you have received, freely give. Oh, you know that verse. Um, Luke chapter six, give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Takes a little unpacking, but um, Jesus is obviously calling us to uncomfortable territory. All the financial planners in the room are like, financial planners are good. They're important. And we'll see some about that later. Um, But we have to make sure our hearts don't become closed off or too calculated um, because all the scammers out there. Teaching of the apostles. So this is where the New Testament epistles, particularly Paul, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, see that you excel in the grace of giving. Acts chapter 5, right at one of the very first things that happened in the first church community was this. Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept a portion of the money that you were supposed to give um, for receiving the land? Didn't it, be- did it be- didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What has made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. That there's a seriousness in the way that we handle finances. There needs to be an honesty and integrity in it. Um, And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, Paul is encouraging his protege to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So God cares very deeply about what we do with the finances, resources that we have. God is watching and wants to see you act in a way that is beautiful and good and generous. Um, And then here in 2 Corinthians 9, we have just kind of some real practical teaching. We have... Um, the, the purpose. He gives us the purpose of giving, of generosity, of why we should be compelled to give. He gives us the protocol, the correct way to give, um, the correct heart to give with. And then lastly, the promise, uh, the promise to those who give in the way that God is asking us to give. So we're going to jump into that. And uh, first of all, the purpose of giving money is to supply the needs of the saints, he says. And, uh, and this is true. I mean, one of the pictures in that first church um, about, about this giving to supply the needs of the saints, it says, and no one had any need among them because they held everything in common. And that, that's just an unbelievably beautiful, beautiful picture. And it reminds me a little bit about the women at the streams on Wednesday mornings. I don't know how many times there's been a woman who I know has a lot of need because of different things I was told. And she plugs her life into this Wednesday morning women at the streams group. And next thing I know, she's telling me story after story, hour after story about how she no longer has need. 
or her needs have been met in such amazing ways. Uh, there's a men's group on Tuesday mornings, early Tuesday mornings, uh, like 5.30 or something. I didn't even know they still made 5.30, but it's there. Um, and I've heard story after story about this group of men that if a guy just comes and plugs his life into this little group, over time, next thing you know, not only does he have a job when he didn't have a job, not only does he have a car when he doesn't have a car. I mean, there's just story after story after story. When he would knit his life together with this group, his, there would be no more need among them. And that's our hope for life groups. That's our hope for all these groups that we have. And there's so many things, ways you can plug in. When people come off the street um, of Glendale here or come from the bus stop and they, they're like, oh, there's a church, maybe they could help me. They come in and so often I will meet with them and I'll tell them, look, we're a church organization and we have a little bit, we can give you a bus pass. We can give you, you know, food from the food pantry. Uh, we can give you some pastoral counseling. Um, sometimes we'll buy you a bus ticket to go back home. Or, like there's different things that we can do, but that we're, we're real limited. But I tell them, I say, if you will knit your life into the community at Living Streams, I can, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to be taken care of. First by God, but then by the people of God. And, and that's my promise to him. And I've seen it happen so many times, which again is a commendation to you guys. So playing the needs of the saints for sure. Um, creating many overflowing thanksgivings to God, he says, is one of the purposes. That when we give, it actually creates thanksgivings to God or it glorifies God is the third point. Um, both of these things, I love in the message translation, it says that when we give in the way that we're supposed to, it creates a chorus of thanksgivings to God. And in some ways, if you picture God sitting up above the whole thing and all these little stories, I mean, I've told just a few today, but all the stories, you know, every time we give and it, and it meets someone and they, they receive and they, they say, thank you, Lord, or they say, thank you, God hears every single one of those as this beautiful song ascending to him. This chorus of thanksgivings. I got to hear one of the guys that we worked with in, in Ireland, um, he's trying to plant a church, he and his wife, and, and, and they're having a little trouble financially, so he's working the graveyard shift at McDonald's right now, um, just trying to be faithful to his family, and it's really challenging for him to, you know, you know study the word and meet with the people, all these things, but he's, he's just kind of pinched, and it's like, oh man, I, I'm so proud of you for doing this, and we're praying, and we're hoping that the Lord provides, and, and it was cool, because I was just on the phone with him um, last week, oh no, earlier this week, and, and just asking him, so how's it going? And he said, well, you know, I actually was, when I got my paycheck from McDonald's, it was actually less than I was expecting. And so we were, we were really not going to make it at all. But he said, but then there were these three different people who are all kind of wanting to join in the church. And they all came up to me and they felt, they felt like the Lord was telling them to give this. To, and they just started giving money to them. And so they were totally covered for the month. And you, you could just hear, you could just hear the melody coming from his heart as he was just telling me the story of thanksgiving to God. And that's just one of so many, many around the world. Um, that's why we got to keep giving. That's one of the purposes. And the last thing is interesting. Fourth, this takes a little bit of work. Um, the fourth purpose that he gives us is that it shows others we are submitted to the gospel of Christ. And in some way, in pa Paul's mind, there was an evangelistic aspect to the giving. And, and it's true. When we live in a culture, in America in particular, that it just loves money. We love it. So we, when we read those verses, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. We don't have to wonder if we love money. We do. We love it. It's great. It's wonderful. You can do a lot of cool things with money. But, but what happens when someone is not ruled by money? 
Someone is not selfish with their money. It is totally perplexing to people who don't know Jesus. That you would be freely giving, that you would be a conduit, that you would even give sacrificially, it speaks volumes to them. And they're either going to think you're insane or they're going to think, who is this Jesus that you're following? Because I don't want to be ruled by money. I don't want my life to be so self-serving. And as a young man growing up and hearing story after story, eventually I got to the place where I wanted to be, handle my money in that way, in a way that was first generous and sacrificial instead of just self-serving all the time. So it really has a powerful impact um, evangelistically as well, especially in our day and age when, you know, there's some inflation, there's some uncertainty financially. I think if the Christians all just kind of, you know, button down the hatches and pull in everything, we're going to really miss an opportunity for evangelism right now. That's really important. So the protocol, he says four, four ways that we should give, four correct ways. First, give as you have decided in your heart. And even though he says decided in your heart, the, way, the, reason, the, the fact that he says decided, I think there is a, a mental capacity to this. That in some ways, God is wanting us to, to plan this out. And, and if you don't put it in the budget, it usually doesn't, doesn't show up at the end of the month, right? And in some ways, God wants us with our spouses or whether it's you individually, whatever it is, is to actually put some thought into it. Maybe talk to your financial planner or whatever and say, hey, I want to set aside this every month for giving, for generosity. And 10%, I think, is a very good place to start if you're looking for a, a, a random place to start. It's not that random. It's rooted in Scripture. But I think it's a good place to start. But do whatever you, whatever you can do. Just, okay, we're going to set aside and do it at the very beginning. Because if you, don't be, if you wait to see what's left over at the end of the month, there's nothing left over at the end of the month. Inflation, man. So, so we got to do it at the front. We got to decide in our heart. We're going to do it at the front. And that's why the Bible talks about first fruits a lot. So I think that's what Paul's getting at. It's real important to put some thought into it and make a plan for it. And then secondly, he says, don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion. And I think if we plan ahead, then it's easier to not get coerced or scammed into things because, you know, when this might sound cold hearted, but when I get a lot of people asking me for money. And if I didn't have a clear answer of what I felt like God was calling me to give, I would have my heart jerked around in a thousand different places. But I can freely say no to things because I'm freely saying yes to things, if that makes sense. You guys think I'm a jerk now? <laughs> I am a jerk sometimes, no doubt about it. Um, but I think it does help us to not get fooled or scammed into certain things as well, or to give beyond what God is asking you to give which is a funny thing to say, but it is true. Um, for, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if we've done this properly, then when we're giving, it's, it's something that we're excited to give. It's something we've planned to give. We can enjoy it. Um, and that really is important to God. Just like if I brought home flowers to my wife and I left the price tag on there and said, man, this, we don't really have the money for this, but I thought, I know you like these. I mean, she's not gonna be, she's gonna be like, I can't even say thank you because you're a jerk. And I'll be like, yeah, here it is again. I'm a jerk. Um, so the same with the Lord. Chill forgiver, um, a willing giver is the other way he describes that heart. So those are the correct ways to give. And then if we do that, 
Um, the promise that comes to us, there's actually five promises that Paul illustrates here for us. Uh, number one is that God is able to make all grace abound to you. This isn't that you give $10, God will give you $100. This isn't you give financially, God will bless you financially. This is if you give financially to the Lord, he will make all grace abound to you. And you know what you need more than dollars? You need God's grace. Grace is the stuff that makes life work. Every good gift that we have is the grace of God somehow working its way to us. And whether that comes in through, oh, I need money for rent, and instead someone gives you a house. Whether, oh, I need to get my car fixed, or next thing, someone's willing to give you a ride. God's grace shows up in all kinds of different ways. But the promise is that if you give in the way he's asking you to give, he will make sure that the grace shows up. Secondly, having all sufficiency in all things and at all times. There's a lot of alls there. And I do like this, even though I've heard preachers say that all in the Greek means all. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it, it's, it's all. It's, it's big. You need to think large. And when he's saying this is all sufficiency in all things at all times. And the way Paul described this in a different part is he said, I've learned to be content in all situations, whether I abase or abound, whether I have lots or little, whether it's sparse or there's plenty. I've got something better than money. I've got contentment. I've got peace. That isn't tied to whatever my paycheck says or whatever bill comes in. I've got something that's stronger than that. And that's a beautiful, beautiful promise from God if we'll give in the way that he's asked us to do. The third thing, um, we'll abound in every good work. We'll abound in every good work. And this is where the idea that God um, provides where he guides is so, 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 so true. Wherever God guides you to go, he's going to provide for you. Whenever God asks you to do something, he will provide what you need to do those things, even if you don't know how. There's been three times now my wife and I and our daughters have basically cut off all income streams in order to go out into a mission field for a year or whatever just to see what the Lord might do. And it was scary the first time because we didn't know what was gonna happen and the Lord provided beautifully. And then the second time, because the Lord had provided beautifully, we were still scared to death. <laughs> Maybe I was more scared than you were scared. But. And then the third time, God had done it so well, so provided, it had just been so good on his promise that the third time, we were even more scared to death. <laughs> now we have three kids. And we're going to a first world place. We don't understand that. And God totally took care of us. Through totally random ways. But he made sure we had everything we needed for the work that he called us to do. And it was really fun looking back now to see how, how diverse the ways that God provided were. Never really what we thought or even what we wanted. But better. Now looking back. So you can trust the Lord on that. And then the fourth thing that um, the God who supplies seed to make bread will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Basically, God, he's promised to whatever you sow, 
you'll receive back. Whatever, whatever you've done to help someone else experience the righteousness of God will end up increasing your own righteousness. It's this beautiful, beautiful promise. And, and in some ways, you can just look at it simply that um, give and you will receive. Jesus said, give and you will receive. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You, you, just, you will never be able to outgive God. No matter how generous you get, all you're going to know is how generous God can be. He will not let you be more generous than him. He thinks it's a big fight. He's like, oh yeah? You, I see what you're doing. Boom, watch this. And he double generouses you. <laughs> he loves doing it. He loves doing it. And it is true. Um, and number five, he says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And uh, I think about this in two, two stories that we'll just finish up with here. Uh, my mom and dad. My mom and dad, um, they were friends with Mark and Christina Buckley and Mark and Christina Buckley were planting a church called Living Streams and they were doing it in their living room. And my mom and dad, for whatever reason, just really believed in Mark and Christina. And they, they sowed financially into the church with their own tithes and offerings and generous gifts as much as they could. At one point, they gave the, the Buckleys and the church a van, which was a big deal. Um, and the Buckleys used it for their own family, but also for all the church stuff. And at one point, they gave the, the Living Streams Church a house. Um, and uh, they used it for a number of things. And at some point, they sold that house and bought another house with the, with the profit, because in Arizona, it's been pretty good to have real estate. Um, then they sold that house and bought a church building with it. Then they sold that church building and bought this place. And that's one really cool story of how God has taken that, what seemed like a big gift at the time, and now it looks small compared to what it has produced. But another thing in that is my mom and dad, they passed away before before I really became full on staff at Living Streams. And so they didn't get to see that their gift to this little tiny church that was by faith so long ago is actually providing for my own family and their grandkids and has taken such good care of us in so many ways. And so it's this beautiful, beautiful story for me that just makes me think, man, I don't want to miss those stories. I don't want my kids to not have stories like that to tell. And then the second thing, which has been really big, and I was just in Belize with these guys, Kenny and Shannon. There's these two young men that the Lord knit our lives together when we were first living in this village. And they were young men. One of them didn't know how to read, um, but really wanted to follow Christ. And one of them, you know, did, did know how to read and actually had a lot of opportunities for career advancement outside the village, but felt like God was calling them to the village. And it was this really weird time where I had to tell them, hey, if you follow Christ and you really serve him and you really hang on to him and you give in the way he wants you to give, then he's gonna take care of you. And I, I said it with the smallest amount of faith because I knew the sociological ramifications were, were very bleak. I knew the, the political corruption was basically gonna keep anything from happening. I mean, they just, they didn't have a chance at all. And yet I felt compelled to, to talk to them about this. And now it's been 15 years and I was just there with them and both of them have not only been able to take care of themselves financially, but they've been able to take care of their wives financially. They've been able to take care of their, their kids in a beautiful, beautiful way, getting them to schools and all these things. 
They've been able to build their own homes. They've been able to add on to those homes for other family members to come and live who don't have a lot. They've been able to give a lot to other family members who don't have a lot. And they've become just these pillars in this village as these young men. They've become these testimonies to me that God is able to do this, not just in an American context, not just where resources abound, but against all odds, God is still able to make this thing happen. It's been this huge encouragement to me. And so I want us at Living Streams to make sure we don't miss our moment now. There's no question every day that we are building something but there is a question of what, if what we are building as a church will end up being beautiful, good, true, and lasting. I hope so. I hope we don't play it safe or miss the opportunities that God has given us right now. I hope we don't sacrifice little and so sparingly and in the end have regrets as we, as we and those who come after us reap sparingly. I hope we sacrifice now so we and the future generations have it better off than we do now. And I hope we so generously so those who come after us have a lot to work with. We gotta make sure that we are not more consumers than we are creators. The culture and technology that we have at this point are making us into peak consumers. Who knew you could spend eight hours on a phone in a day and still sleep for eight hours? Well, we all do now because we are peak consumers. Consuming has never been so easy. It's why the church followers of Christ have to get back to our original call to be creators in the image of God. We have gotta be creators. We should be writing poetry, not just reading. We should be creating art, not just scrolling through Instagram. We should be writing songs, we should be writing stories. We have got to learn to create more than we consume or someday there will be nothing left. Amen. Yeah, amen. And so let's be people who figure this out. And let's always keep our eyes on Jesus, the example of this all who gave everything.